Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, Miami Dolphins fans. Welcome to another episode of On the Fin Side. I'm your host, Brian Cat Catanzaro, and joining me tonight as well as Paul Pickin. And we were going to have Rob Prophet on tonight. He's had a family emergency. We hope all goes well with him. But we've got plenty to talk about with the Miami Dolphins and free agency and the NFL draft. We'll have Chris Kaufman on here at 7.30 Central Time, 8.30 Eastern Time, to talk about his top eight board for the Miami Dolphins as Combine wraps up and also some potential risers and fallers for the Miami Dolphins. Paul, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, man. Um, just speaking of, of family stuff, I want to throw a quick thing out while we're getting started here. Angel, sure. Angel Ortiz, just want to tell you, you know, all our thoughts and prayers are with you. I know you got some family stuff going on. Hanging tough, brother. I know you listen every week, so. Absolutely. Us Dolphins uh, fans stick together. So, Angel, uh, uh, I wish wish you and your family the best as well. Looking at today, obviously the big news is the Dolphins surprised a lot of people and angered one specific person and myself <laughs> by putting the transition tag on Olivier Vernon instead of the franchise tag. And let me just get, jump right into why this is so stupid and the entire process of why this is stupid. I don't understand why the Miami Dolphins wait to the last month before free agency to try to re-sign their players. Did it last year with Charles Clay and Jared Odrick. I know they cost a lot of money, but the time to get that started is the year before they hit free agency. So they lose Clay and they lose Odrick. But they don't just lose Charles Clay. They, they, they come limping to the table and slap a transition tag on him, lose him to the Buffalo Bills. Jared Odrick, uh, they lost to the Jaguars. Obviously, Red Dominican Sue was a reason for that. This year, it, it, Paul, we're in the exact same spot with Olivier Vernon. Yeah, and, and I hate to say it. I mean, the Odrick one hurt more for me. Um, I, I'm not as upset about Vernon. I know we've talked at length about him here on the show. And he's a guy that's got a very good skill set, but he cost a couple games last year. Um, with stupid, um, ridiculous penalties at the end of the game. And quite frankly, I I struggle with the idea of him being a $12 million a year defensive end, let alone slapping a franchise tag on him as a $15 million defensive end. And, and by all reports, Olivier wants to get paid. And so I honestly am okay with him leaving. At least this sets the Dolphins up. I don't think they have full intentions of bringing him back. To be honest, yeah, I think they're hoping that they can work out a sign-and-trade type deal, which is why they slapped the transition tag on them. Yeah, and my big thing is if you're going to do a type of deal like that, why not slap the franchise tag on them? You know, at that point, yeah, it's going to cost a couple more million, but at least you head into the off season knowing whether or not Olivier Vernon's either going to be on your team or he's going to be completely off your payroll and you could potentially get a first or second round pick. The whole thing doesn't make sense to me. But my bigger issue, because I'm with you, Paul, at the point where the talks approached $12 million, I was out, you were out, Brian was out, and I'm pretty sure that CK and Ian were out too. So we're all together on that. My problem is before the season – uh, you don't eat. We had David Cantor on our show, Olivier Vernon's agent last year. The Dolphins hadn't even talked to him at that point, and they didn't really 
to my knowledge, talked to him until, what, two months ago? And at that point, it's too late. That's how they lo- they. That's why they didn't lock down Clay, didn't lock down Audric, didn't lock. They're not going to lock down Olivier Vernon. And if they want him back, they're going to have to pay an absurd price for him. And now, and I'll promise you this: they're making the same mistake with Jelani Jenkins because Jelani Jenkins' price tag will never be lower than it is right now because the Dolphins got lucky because the last five games of the year he was either out or hurt. But you know, I'm not saying you have to re-sign your own players all the time, but you've got to do it sometime. I completely agree with you um, when it comes to Jenkins. I completely agree with you when it comes to Audric. Um, I'll even go back and look at Paul Soliai, who I know we're hoping comes back to the team when he gets cut at the start of the league year. Uh, Olivier Vernon, I think, is the same situation in a way that they were in with Charles Clay last year. But I think what they're doing here is I don't think they believe anybody's going to pay $15 million. I don't believe, think they believe anybody's going to come to the table at $12 million. I think they're hoping that a team comes in with a three-year deal with a little more palatable price with Olivier um, that Olivier jumps on, and they're able to get him a little bit cheaper that way. Or, hey, say somebody comes in and goes, we want you for $16, 17000000 million a year to Olivier Vernon, at which point the Dolphins can laugh and go, Hey, have fun with that guy, you know, because I, I just I don't see him being that valuable of a player, and I don't care what players make. I just care what it does in terms of the cap space and the flexibility in terms of what they're able to do. If they've got a player that justifies that price tag, hey, by all means, you know, pay. pay right, the guy, right, yeah, yeah. And, and when I look at when I look at Olivier Vernon, here's what what makes me wonder is that right now the Dolphins slap Olivier Vernon with that friend with that transition tag so if nobody um offers Olivier a contract that that's higher than that 12.7 million a year then he's then the Dolphins keep him on a one-year 12.7 million dollar deal this year I do think somebody's going to come to the table with more at that point they sign an offer sheet the Dolphins have uh, several days to match that offer sheet, but if he goes away, there's no compensation. If they, if another team, and here's my question: if they were willing to sign Olivier to 13 million a year, wouldn't they be willing to do it for, you know, 15 or 16 in a sign and trade? If you put the franchise tag on them, now the Dolphins may be getting a pick in return. That's what doesn't make sense for me. But really, I, just just to reiterate. The minute that Olivier Vernon's contract, the possibility hit eleven, twelve million a year, I was out. You were out. Just about everybody on the show has been out. But my problem is the process of not even having talks with Vernon before the season about locking him down, and that's why the Dolphins continue and continue to lose their own free agents. It's it's disturbing. It's really really disturbing, and you have to. When other teams in the league are going to look at the Miami Dolphins like a human a human sweatshop, that's something that they've got to deal with at that point. Yeah, and, and one thing I do want to say, though, too, is a lot of that was folks that are no longer here. And you're also trying to figure out locking people down long term when each year for the past three years, it really wasn't concrete if, if Joe Philbin was coming back. Um, uh, and then this season, 
it wasn't concrete what the coaching staff was even going to look like for for this for the upcoming year because Sylvan got canned after the Raiders game, which I'm not against. And you had a transitional coach in, and you really didn't know what you were going to be looking at for the offseason, which which makes it hard to to look at, like, okay, what pieces do I want to lock up long-term that are valuable pieces because they may not fit into what the next coach wants to do. And now we're locking up a player at, at a premium price that doesn't fit with the schemes that this coach coaching staff wants to run. So it makes it difficult to to really set up your roster when your management structure and your coaching staff are so fluid year in and year out. So hopefully they got it right with Gase. Hopefully they got it right with Greer. Hopefully they got it right with the staff under Gase, which did retain a few coaches. And they're able to envision what they're looking at in the future, which will help them on the personnel side be able to start those discussions to lock people up that are going to fit what the the coaching staff wants to do. My big thing with the whole process of this is uh, the way I look at it, every GM and every coach that has been here uh, over the last five or six years, and this all goes to the top, the, the really the bearded lady in this circus, Steve Ross, demands, demands, damn it, I'm in my 70s, I want somebody to win now. And as a result of that, you have everybody playing and strategizing year to year. And that's the big problem with all this, where there is no long-term strategy ever. You know, if, 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 this is how stupid this is. Cameron Wake and Olivier Vernon combined. If Olivier Vernon plays for the transition tag, what twelve point seven million a year, and Cameron Wake, who as of right now the word is he's not budging, he's not going to renegotiate his contract, would cost a combined twenty two and a half million dollars here this year in, in two thousand sixteen. The Dolphins weren't willing to go up to twenty five million for the pair. Uh, by putting the franchise tag on Olivier Vernon, where you may actually get some compensation in return. The whole thing doesn't make sense to me. Uh, Just another reason why this is stupid. Uh, You had 10 players receive the franchise tag today. Uh, Muhammad Wilkerson, Justin Tucker, Cordy Glenn, Alshon Jeffrey, Josh Norman, Von Miller, Kirk Cousins, um, Trumaine Johnson, Eric Berry. I may be forgetting one out of them. So, Really, all the top free agents are cut off, making Olivier Vernon arguably the best free agent out there, and all they really have to do is sign an offer sheet for him. Yeah, but I, I'm i very curious to see what Miami does. Um, that That's when I'll truly be interested in this, uh, what Miami does at the point in time when he does sign that offer sheet. Um, that That's where this gets interesting for me is, okay, your bluff got called. What are your plans from this guy now? Are you going to let him walk or are you going to let him, are you going to bring him back or are you going to bring him back and do some sort of sign and trade type of thing, which I I have to look and see if they're actually able to do under the transition tag because it gets used so infrequently. Um, One thing I do want to say in terms of Cam Wake is I know the rumor is that they approached him about restructuring, and he's declined to do so. If they're 
doing that and that's the case, I, I can't imagine they did anything other than look at ways to reduce his salary. If they're able, and there's 10,000 funny money ways to manipulate the cap space aspect of things, this, they can still work with him to renegotiate his contract in such a way that he still gets his money. It just gets spread out if they need that cap space. Same thing we talked about in terms of Indomitian Sue, where they're able to take that huge cap hit if they have to and convert some of it into a bonus or convert portions into this type of bonus or that type of bonus that gets spread out a little further along the life of the deal. There, there's a lot of ways that they can manipulate this. Yeah, there so, there, there are a lot of ways, Paul. My, my problem with it is those ways involve kicking the can down the road with Indomitian Sue and with Cameron Wake. I, I don't for me it was simple. Cameron Wake can come back for a few million a year. If he doesn't like it, then we can cut him. I mean, uh, to to think to pay Cam Wake 9.8 million dollars this year, 30, 35 uh, approaching 35 years old coming off a torn Achilles, uh, I I don't get it. It 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 doesn't make sense to me. It was to me an obvious conclusion looking at the Miami Dolphins this season with Cameron Wake and with Jordan Cameron, with Brent Grimes, the amount of money you can save by cutting these guys and starting over again. It seems like the Dolphins are continuing to hang on to this 6-10 and 10 team, and I, I, it, it doesn't make sense. I just don't know why. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm a little confused by some aspects of that as well. I do think Cam Wade can be a difference maker uh, for another year or two in, in that slightly reduced role. Um, but, again, it's you have to believe that you're a year or two away. Um, and I, I do see some pathways where the Dolphins could be potentially a contender this year. Um, I was a little surprised by it as, as well because I, I've been looking at them as a next-year team instead of a this-year team. But if this if this front office is able to do the right things, and if if Adam Gase is really what he's advertised to be, as well as some of his coaching staff, and they're able to utilize the talent on the team and design their schemes to match that, um, maybe they could be a contender this year. They've got talented skill positions. They've got some talent on the defensive side of the ball that that could be special. They've got some holes. But but they've got the ability to do that. So if they envision Cam Wake being part of that, if they envision some of these guys being a part of that, and they need to stretch things to get there. Uh, so long as you've got a cohesive plan, it's not year to year, as you pointed out earlier. Yeah, well, I it, the, the, right. I, I totally agree. I, I agree with how you're thinking on that. My issue is that it is year to year, and that's the problem. And when you look at the Dolphins, if you okay, Cameron Wake, if he does not renegotiate and is not willing to, uh, then I say you cut him. You, you, you save that money, and you try to rebuild that DN position, even if it's difficult. I mean, the defense was terrible last year anyway. And mm-hmm. with Brent Grimes, 33 years old, you cut him, you can save after June 1st $8 million. I mean, there, there, are, there is a ton of money to be saved here. And, and here's another reason why this transition tag is so stupid. You, uh, let me list off for you the top six – um, teams with the most cap, cap space: Jaguars, Raiders, Giants, 49ers, Titans, and Bucks. Out of those f- first six teams, other than the Raiders with Khalil Mack, who is a great football player, um, 
I, I don't think that any of these top six teams had somebody at the end position with over seven sacks. So they're going to be very interested in Olivier Vernon. One of these teams is going to put an offer in on him, and the Dolphins are going to get absolutely nothing on him. And if they keep Cam Wake on top of it, Cam Wake's going to be 35 at the end of the year. So even if you hold on to him for another year, you're probably not making the playoffs, and you're going to lose him in two years anyway. This is how the Dolphins think, and it's a stupid, stupid way to think. I, there's no easy way to say it. This is what happens when you late when you wait to the last minute and you stumble to the table like a like a stupid drunken goon like the Dolphins have been in this situation and do this. So I, I just had to get all that off my chest. It, so it, it doesn't now, now that we've sense. got everybody's daily dose of positivity. <laughs> <laughs> and and the thing is, the thing is, Paul, with the Dolphins, why it makes sense for the Dolphins to cut this older weight in the or these guys who are making so much money. I'm talking Grimes, Wake, Jordan Cameron, Greg Jennings. These types of players is because if the Dolphins could conceivably head into the season, if they can get another good offensive lineman, they can have at receiver, they can have Jarvis Landry and Devontae Parker, two hungry young guys uh, with Ryan Tannehill throwing them the football. And if he is, and if Ryan Tannehill is able to do that, uh, to, to connect, to be well-protected and connect with those receivers, then I think you could start putting some more points on the board. Then I look at the opposite side of the ball. Yeah, uh, the defense, if you cut Wake and you cut Grimes, which I don't think is going to happen, definitely not to both of them, but if you do that, you restart over on defense. You're not going to be wor- really worse from last year when the Dolphins were terrible. So to me, this was the perfect time to cut that weight when you get a new coach in here and you were terrible on defense anyway. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I think there are a lot of good things with the Miami Dolphins, one of which would help keep a lot of things intact is re-signing Lamar Miller, in my opinion. Um, you know, Who knows how much he will cost? The, the word on the street is somewhere between 7 and $9 million. We've talked about it on this show. Um, any any thoughts on that, Paul? What, what's your tap-out point with Lamar Miller in terms of millions per year? My tap-out? Um, when you're done. I you let him hit free agent. Say my tap, I, I don't love the idea, but I think my tap-out point is hate. Uh, I love Lamar Miller. I think he's a very special talent. Um, I just I, I can't see paying him to, as if he already is the top back in the NFL um, and feature mm-hmm. back. I, I think you pay him good money because he can be a difference maker. He's shown he can be a difference maker. Um, but you can't pay him that, that top running back money. There's ways to supplement what he did, whether it's as good or not. Jay Ajayi has shown a lot of promise. Um, there are some secondary options on the market that would be a little bit cheaper. Uh, it may not be mm-hmm. as special, but you know what? I You bring in a Chris Ivory if you have to and have that guy that's going to smash it in the middle um, with a little bit of speed. And then you use a, J, a Jay Ajayi a little bit differently than you planned on with, with a little bit of a mix of Damian Williams on it. Um, yeah, and I, I think Lamar Miller is is the second most expensive. Will be the second most expensive if, if he hits the market. 
behind Doug Martin. Chris Ivory is an interesting name. I've I've I said years ago that I when he was with the Saints that I would love to uh, have a trade with, with the Dolphins for Chris for Chris Ivory. I, th- I thought he was a, a smash mouth back then. The only reason he didn't get recognition was because he was an undrafted free agent. Uh, and the, the guy was a stud last year. And uh, my only thing with Chris Ivory is I think he's probably going to get about the same amount of money that Lamar Miller will. Uh, may, maybe a million less because Ivory's 28 and, and Lamar Miller's 25. Um, Miller's an interesting one because I, I'm right there with you, Paul. I think at eight million dollars, that's when I start to tap out a little bit. Maybe maybe I go up to nine, very simply because it's attractive for me to keep Lamar Miller, Devontae Parker, and Jarvis Landry intact for at least the next two years, and all all these guys are under 25 years old. I'm looking for the Dolphins to actually have something to build on not just continuing to burn and churn every year because you've got head coaches and general managers trying to save their job because the owner's banging the table. Um, anyway, I, I, I can't stop getting on this tangent of how, how poorly this has been run. So Lamar Miller, to me, is is that special type of back. Um, and I, I hope the Dolphins can get him back. Richard Matthews, uh, word came out today that he's really looking – to be um, a, a at least a second threat on an NFL team, the Dolph with the Dolphins, even if Jordan Cameron stays around, he's going to be no better than third, maybe even fourth. And now that Alshon Jeffrey has been franchise tagged, you could make the argument Richard Matthews, in a very weak free agency wide receiver class, is the best one out there. So I do see Richard Matthews getting. Uh, a lot more money than people think. I, I, if I were to put a number on it, I would say about $6 million a year uh, to a team like the Carolina Panthers or somebody close. Uh, Paul, I understand that we have a caller. We do. we got Marty calling back. I know he's called in before, calling out of South Carolina. Marty, how are you doing tonight? What you got for us? I'm doing pretty good, man. How about y'all, you guys? Uh, how y'all doing? Good, Marty. I'm how are you? Good, good, good. good. I tell you what, uh, so far, so good. Um, I I uh, not sure if I like the part with the Oliver Vernon situation. Um, I don't think he's worth too much more than what he's getting now. But I, I wish we could have went a different route as far as getting something for him. I do think he is overrated by a lot, mm-hmm. and I mean, um. Guys, I feel like if we can keep Lamar Miller and just like last year, sum up the two guards, get rid of uh, Matthews, get rid of Jennings, we still good. Even if if something happens to Miller, we're still good on offense. Maybe like uh, last call was saying, getting Ivory. I don't like that, but we could get someone. But I, I really hope we keep Miller. Right. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm right there with you, Marty. And it, here's my big thing is uh, I hope we keep Miller, too, because even though the Dolphins' offense wasn't extremely productive last year, at least if you have Tannehill, Miller, Landry, exactly. Parker, Mike Pouncey, and Juwan James, you've got six players on your offense who are under 26 years old, who are or under 27, who are pretty darn good. And I agree with you on Olivier Vernon. My big issue is twofold. Number one, that you didn't start talking to him last year. Uh, 
And number two, when you could have got him under contract for a much, much cheaper amount, maybe you could have got him for seven or eight million a year instead of getting into this fifteen million a year nonsense. And I would have liked for the Dolphins, once Vernon's contract got up to eleven, twelve million a year, they said we're not interested anymore. But then they put the transition tag on him and say, Well, we're 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 kinda interested in him. How are you kinda interested in arguably the top free agent and I'm not yelling at you, Marty, I'm yelling in general. No, no, uh, <laughs> no, I agree. How how do you how are you kind of interested in the top free agent? Possibly in the NFL after all these franchise tags. Makes no sense, but that's Dolphins front office for you. Yeah, the the best thing is – go ahead. I just want to jump in real quick, Marty. Honestly, I think think the Dolphins are not long-term interested in Olivier Vernon. I think, as we pointed out before, he's a guy that that did cost them a couple of games. He disappears at times. Um, He flashes rare talent at other times. But – I think the hype for Vernon is still higher than really where his constant ability is at. So I don't think he's in their long-term plans, but I think with the fact that Wake is in a state of flux, they may or may not be bringing Derek Shelby back. They don't have a huge number of answers at defensive end right now, which is a premium position, and they've got other holes to fill. I I think at worst they're setting up to lock Vernon up for a year and then – be able to move on from him next year. Um, and, and, and if that's the case, I'm okay with it. We don't really know this front office and what their tendencies are. We don't know this coaching staff and what their tendencies are yet. That's something that we're all going to learn um, in time. So maybe, but I agree with you completely about Lamar Miller. He, he's, he's a must resign and unless the, he prices himself out of the market. And the one thing is this. And if I could put this in, I'd like to say is that we are nowadays homegrown, growing defensive linemen and defensive ends than we are offensive linemen. They are more stronger, more athletic on the defensive end of the ball, if you follow what I'm saying, coming out of college. And, and being told, even in college, uh, the offensive line is, is becoming a demanding spot because Harley is, is to a point where no one can really can solidify that spot. Because Absolutely. Everything's Absolutely. so good around and I'll, him. Yeah, and I'll, I'll, I'll cut in there, Marty. I'll give you an example is, you know, uh, years ago, and I, hey, I'm somebody who – embarrassingly wanted Deion Jordan and I loved that trade up for him at the time. I didn't know he was on drugs at the time, but um right. but you look at at who went after him and it was Lane Johnson, a right tackle. And he just re signed for six years, sixty three million dollars. To your point, that wouldn't have happened ten years ago. It would have been left tackle right. and then we'll find a right tackle somewhere along the line. And yeah, so I agree with you. You do need to protect you you need you can't have a weak link in your offensive line. You especially can't do it when you're the Dolphins and you have a quarterback in Ryan Tannehill who is talented in a lot of things, but making quick decisions isn't one of them. Well, let me ask you guys this, too, and, and this is something. I'm, I'm in South Carolina, so I don't know a lot about it. But, I mean, that's like uh, Jay-Z or any of these other rich jokers or, or stars or something. 
you can always find something about them. You know what I mean? You can always find something out about why haven't we heard anything about Deion Jordan? Is it to the point of where is Miami got him sealed up somewhere and has been building him up? And yeah, keeping that, that's, it quiet? That, that's a good question. It's a good question, Marty. And I actually, because, I, I asked Matt. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. Finish your point. Because I, I mean, I have I've been reading, reading. I've been trying to, to pull stuff up on the internet. Nobody has said anything. It's not. It isn't even like that. No one's even questioned them about it. And you know, it's. I just think it's pretty weird. Hopefully, hopefully, he, you know, Miami's done something smart and maybe pulled him away from it and put him in some kind of training program somewhere and, and you know, sealed it up so nobody knows. You know, I don't know. Here's the thing, Marty. With, with Deion Jordan being suspended, they can't comment on it. We, we asked Tannenbaum directly um, when we were down in Miami. And they just they can't comment on it. It's we're still in the same league year where he's suspended. So we're probably not gonna hear anything for another week or two, if anything. Um it it is what it is. Um Dion's a rare talent. Hopefully he can get his head out of his ass, to be frank, and, and be somebody that can step in and contribute because when he did get on the field um, which I won't say that the coaching staff underutilized the player because God knows we haven't done that in the past few years. Um, he, <laughs> there was no sarcasm in that statement. But he covered Rob Gronkowski um, in very limited snaps. He forced some game-changing interceptions, um, even if it just showed up as a quarterback hit. He forced a couple of fumbles. Um, yeah, he does have his head up his ass in several ways. Maybe this year off um, is something that showed him uh, what what he's missing out on. And let me let me cut in. Uh, I'll make it very. He needs he needs to stop doing drugs. That that that's what he needs to stop. Marty, uh, thank you very much for your call tonight. Uh, We've got a few things to catch up on, but hey, give us a call uh, a little bit later or uh, call in any time over the next couple weeks. All right. All right, man. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks a lot. Now, if you can, find out some more on him. Let us know. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. Sounds good. Thanks, Marty. Mm -hmm. And we are joined here by Chris Kaufman, our draft guru slash Miami Dolphins guru. Uh, Chris, I, I, I don't know if you listened to the first part of the show. I know you were putting, uh, putting baby down, but for crying out loud, Am I the only one that's just angered about this Olivier Vernon situation, the transition tag? It's kind of like one foot in, one foot out when it comes to Olivier. Am I missing something? Uh, It's a little bit. I think it's it's some of what you say, and I think it's a gamble. Um, But I think it's important to realize a couple of things. One, this buys them a little bit more time to negotiate. Uh, if they had slapped the franchise tag on him, then negotiations probably cease right that moment and do not continue again. And so you're talking about uh, Cantor, and we, we know we've discussed the history there. Nobody likes the franchise tag. It basically shuts off all other teams from negotiating with the player um, effectively, even though it doesn't, uh, even though you'd have to slap on the really expensive franchise tag to do that. Um, by rule, but 
I mean, no no team is going to negotiate with the guy, and so no no player likes it, no agent likes it. And if they had done that, then I think negotiations just stop and end right there. And what they've done uh-huh. is now say, well, we have eight days now. You know, we have until March 9th to try and continue this um, this negotiation because he's, he's not allowed to talk to another team until March 9th. So, uh, so I think it buys them time. It, it keeps the door open on negotiations. And a lot of people talk about the Charles Clay experience, and, and, yeah, that was a little bit painful to go through at the time as it dragged out a little bit. But let's look at ultimately what happened. The Dolphins got to stay party to that negotiation throughout the entire process. Um, and at the end of the day, they had a deal in front of them that paid Charles Clay $24 million of guaranteed over the first two years of the contract. And they got to look at him, look at his injury history, look at his production and say, you know what? Uh, no, I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm not going to do that. And, uh, and, and they said, they said no. And right now the bills are kind of in a bad way about that contract because Charles Clay, you know, 500 yards and three touchdowns last year, he missed another three games. Um, and now they're, they're owing him another $11.5 million this year, which becomes payable, I believe, on March 11th. So they, they're, they're kind of in a bind trying to figure out what to do. And so being able to stay party to that negotiation throughout the whole process allowed them to go ahead and make the best choice uh, and so they're they're looking to just extend things further and do the same thing with Olivier Vernon, and they're kind of doubting that he's going to go he's going to go out there and get that huge deal from anybody. I don't know if they're right because I've heard of some some teams that could be interested and they got some some uh, some salary cap room to spare. So uh, so we'll see. But um, but I think I think if you had franchised him, then the negotiations cease, and you're paying him 16 million dollars for 2016. And if you mm-hmm. transition tag him and you give Cantor and he the ability to still go out and see what he's worth on the open market, then at least the negotiations continue, and at least you've guaranteed yourself the ability to say, "Am I going to sign this guy or not? Am I going to sign this guy at market value, or am I not going to sign this guy at market value?" Is it too expensive or is it not? Uh, as things were going, they hadn't made any any way on the negotiations. And like I said, you franchise them, everything stops. You pay him $16 million for two, 2016, and he hits the free agent market in 2017 as a 26-year-old instead of a 25-year-old. It's no sweat off his mm-hmm. back. He'll pocket that $16 million. He doesn't care. So uh, – so, <clears throat> No, go I was going to say you, you've put it a lot more eloquently than you and Paul have both put it a lot more eloquently uh, than I have. I just wanted to cut in and, and say that, uh, yeah, it's you know my and and uh, the the source of my frustration comes with looking at Charles Clay and Jared Odrick, not necessarily how this was approached when they were free agents, but the fact that this process didn't start much, much earlier, didn't start earlier with clay. You know, I know he, after he had the what 69 catch season where you could have got him for a lot cheaper, Jared Odrick, same thing. And Olivier Vernon last year, the dolphins hadn't even talked to him at this point. Now we're at the point where we're, we're face to face at paying him 12, 13 million dollars a year that that's my is that a concern and our teams looking at the dolphins across the league and saying they don't take care of their own players 
Well, I think that there is a danger that, yeah, they they will look like they uh, they don't take care of their own players. And if you get that reputation with agents, then that can be a problem. I think you bring up the right point. Perhaps they could have uh, nipped this in a bud a year ago, uh, just like they could have with some other players like the ones that you named. Uh, and In fact, Lamar Miller could have been nipped in the bud uh, right. a year ago as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's a valid criticism. I think that you're looking at that. And one thing I will note about Olivier Vernon, though, is one year ago they did negotiate with him, or at least sent out some feelers. And his agent, he and his agent, made it known that they wanted ten million dollars a year. Uh, that uh-huh. that that was their asking price. Now their price has jumped uh, to say thirteen million dollars a year, um, which is more expensive, but you know, not not totally more expensive. So I don't know that the price has say doubled from last year to to this year because they waited. Um, I think that uh, that. $10 million a year ago, when we all heard that number, we laughed. I mean, that was that was absurd mm-hmm. for what Olivier Vermin had shown on tape and in production. Um, so I don't know that I don't know that if it was a mistake or not, but I do think that you have a really good point in that there could be a pattern developing with these players, and um, and if they catch a reputation for that, then that's that's not going to be good. So they do have to watch out. Yeah, and well, uh, you know just, another player I'll bring up again real quick here, and okay. and we do have to keep in mind that it is a different front office now. Obviously, Tannenbaum's still there, but with with Greer and Gase, et cetera, um, we really don't know what they're going to do in terms of the going forward aspect. So, again, I think we go back to the fact that the front office has been so fluid and confusing over the past few years. And it sounds like they finally at least got the front office piece right in terms of structure. So maybe we won't see this happening as much as we go forward in the future. That's something that, you know, is TBD until we go through another offseason or two. Any thoughts on that, CK? Uh, Yeah, I think that one thing they have to keep in mind, though, is that even though there has been a change in leadership from, uh, from one side of it, uh, in terms of Adam Gase and uh, and Chris Greer, Donna Ponte is still there. So uh, the major the major methods and, and processes involved in the the prior prioritization of um, of guys in terms of the contract structure and how early you negotiate with them, how long you, how much you take it down to the wire. I think a lot of that is influenced by her. And since she's still there, um, that that could persist. Uh, on the other hand. Uh, Tannenbaum, his his uh, his footprint um, could grow and grow on that side of it since he was kind of the captain contracts guy initially with the Jets before he became the general manager. So you don't know. It, I'm not going to say that it's static and that it's going to stay the same just because Aponte is there. Uh, it could be something that his, to where Tannenbaum's influence grows and grows. Uh, however, you know, I think I think it has to be noted that the main, you know, methods for negotiating with these players are going to be influenced a lot by Aponte um, with Mike Tannenbaum's, you know, sort of his, uh, his overall say so. So, um, so that going forward could be, uh, you know, for those people, including David Cantor, who are not big fans of Aponte, um, then, you know, she's, she's still there. 
C.K. Parrott joining us, really our compass to the Miami Dolphins offseason. Follow him at C.K. Parrott on Twitter. Uh, so, Paul, or excuse me, uh, uh, Chris, real quickly, do you have a feeling one way or another on Dolphins' remaining three free agents, Lamar Miller, Derek Shelby, and Rashard Matthews? Um, Lamar Miller will be signed, I think. Um, I think the odds are very good. I'd be uh, surprised at this point if he wasn't. I think that the will is there for the Dolphins to climb up to his demands and to make sure this gets done. And, and the backing for that is, is Adam Gase wants him. Um, so he's going he's gonna to get what he wants on, uh, on that, I think, unless uh, they hit a major snag. Now, that said, you know, I, I didn't expect so many snags at this point between, you know, Brent Grimes, Cameron Wake, Olivier Vernon. Um, there's, there have been several snags in terms of guys that you wanted to get, say, restructured, maybe extended, maybe, maybe just have their cap number lowered in some way. Um, there was clearly a disconnect between what Cameron Wake was expecting and what he was offered uh, in terms of lowering his cap number. Uh, and I almost think I got to side with Cameron Wake on this, to be honest. Um, so I, I think that because of that, you, I mean, if something bad happens, it'd be like, well, I mean, there were warning signs. But I do think Lamar Miller is going to get signed. And if Olivier Vernon is off to, let's say, Jacksonville, who could have something absurd like $100 million under the salary cap, um, then you probably will see uh, a large effort to retain Derek Shelby. Uh, Richard Matthews, I don't know. Maybe, perhaps there's fresh word that's coming today or that I didn't see, um, but the last I had heard, he is gone, all but gone. He's sold his house, I believe. He's, he's packed up, and uh, he looks like he's moving elsewhere. Very interesting, and that, and also too, Alshon Jeffrey for the Bears received the franchise tag today. And when you look past Alshon Jeffrey, there's not a lot there in free agency at wide receiver. You could really make the case that Rashard Matthews is the best one available in free agency uh, at 26 years old. You've also got Muhammad Sanu, Marvin Jones, Travis Benjamin, Jermaine Curse. You know, you can make a point that any of those four are better or worse than Matthews. And the word out uh, coming out today is Matthews wants to be a number two receiver. And if, that, if that's the case, uh, without question, you're looking at between five and seven million. And then Rashard Matthews is gone. But I, I'm with you on Derek Shelby. Derek Shelby's always been the one guy I've said, um, and we've really, to my knowledge, have agreed on on this show. He's the one guy I want back because I know we know pretty much what he's going to make and what he's going to ask for with with a little bit of variation. My number was always between four and five million a year for Derek Shelby. Do you think that's still accurate, or do you think it'll be more or less? Well, I think just in general, just think of this on a global basis. Whatever numbers that you're thinking about these guys, probably just take 10% and put it on top because mm -hmm. that's what the salary cap went up this year. Uh, so I think that we as kind of we we kind of peg these guys mentally and we think of them in, in certain numbers, and we forget to account sometimes for the fact that the salary cap just increased by 13, 15 million dollars, something like that. It's a 10% increase, almost a 10% increase. And so these guys are generally going to get, you know, half a million to a million dollars more than we think. Um, so if you had in mind $4 million for a Derek Shelby, then maybe five. Um, so mm -hmm. I think that that's 
that's just something to keep in mind in general. You know, I do want to go back to something real quick. Um, you were talking with uh, with a caller, Marty, about Dion Jordan, and uh, he wanted he was hoping that you guys could uh, some, get some information on on him and and what they intend that way. Uh, what I'll say is that the Dolphins were made or have been making an effort to um, to sort of keep tabs on him out out west, um, but. Uh, the word that I've heard is not to count on him because there's no sense that the commitment is there from him. Uh, and the commitment I think is there from the dolphins, but I'm not sure that the commitment is really there from Dion Jordan. So the, you know, whoever they sent over there to babysit him uh, is maybe not sending back great reports. So I, I think that that's something to keep in mind there. Really, what a darn shame, too. I mean, you want to talk about a player coming out of Oregon who was versatile, really didn't have hardly any character issues. I mean, he, there were some questions about marijuana use early on, you know, mm-hmm. and of course he gave that answer, you know, it's taken care of, but you can't take the person at their word. And if Deion Jordan hadn't gone third to the Dolphins, he was going in the top six or seven picks at least. So what a shame looking back. But, you know, it it, it is what it is at this point. Speaking of the NFL draft, this I tell you, Chris, this is my favorite part of the year on this show because we get to pick your brain about every single last freaking player for as long as you'll allow us to throughout these remaining several weeks. So we're, we're going to go ahead and after the NFL draft combine, start at the top. Um, so let's take a look at, you know, let's take a look at, Say the Miami Dolphins have their choice of anybody in the NFL draft. They're picking eighth. You know, we don't want to exclude anybody because they traded up for Deion Jordan years ago. Maybe they have the ability to do that as well, sitting here at number eight. So taking a look, who would your number one player be on the Dolphins board? Well, the number one guy that might be on their board, uh, well, again, uh, let's, let's keep in mind, and we have to throw this out there every single time because it's such an overhanging issue. But if you lose Olivier Vernon, then whoever was their number one guy on the board before, uh, the chances are he's going to be a defensive end now. Um, so I think that uh, I think that we have to keep that in mind. So if, yeah. So, so if, let's say let's say uh, let, let me cut in for a second there. Let's say the Dolphins lose Olivier Vernon. Um, they retain Lamar Miller, they retain Derek Shelby, and they lose Richard Matthews. If those four things are true, and, you know, obviously free agency mixes into that too, but so let's say they keep Miller, they keep Shelby, and they lose uh, Olivier Vernon and um, um, and Richard Matthews. Who would, your, who would number one on your board be? Well, for them, it's it would be either Jalen Ramsey, Miles Jack, or Joey Bosa, I think. Um, so, and I'm, I can't necessarily tell you who among those three, they have the highest. I I don't have word on that. Um, I think that Jalen Ramsey, uh, is a guy that they would really appreciate a free safety, uh, in terms of his speed, his length, uh, the whole package that he brings. And it's a, it's a position that they're targeting and they've considered, I don't know that they're, they're still floating that idea now, but they had considered at various points, at least the front office, making a very large um, investment in that defensive secondary at the safety position. They've considered Eric Berry if he if he wasn't going to get fr- uh, franchise tag, which I believe he did. Um, 
So, you know, Jalen yep. Ramsey's going to be high for them. Joey Bosa naturally going to be very high for them. I don't know if – I don't have any information that says that he's the number one defensive end for the Dolphins, but uh, I think that he's generally the number one defensive end for most people, um, myself included right now. Uh, and so I think that he would be the other guy. Now, the, the guy that intrigues them that I know that they, they've they talked to and that, you know, really – really has has kind of impressed them is Miles Jack and um and that's a that's a guy they're looking to they're looking to get a linebacker that can cover and that can be relied on and that can really run around the field and and show a lot of range and speed that's Miles Jack to a T and you know he's got a reputation for being extremely good on the chalkboard um behind the scenes when he's talking to these teams so He's a guy that they really appreciate. If it were, if it were, if, if we're talking trade up, for instance, and we're saying, you know, let's let's take Miami and put them at number three overall, where San Diego is. San Diego, you know, having told teams that they're willing to move down, probably because they want Ronnie Stanley at a, li- a little bit of later later pick. Um, then you know you're looking at one of those three. You're looking at Bosa, uh, Jalen Ramsey, or Miles Jack. Very interesting. We had a great debate last week uh, with with Ian Wharton on here. I was I'm huge into Miles Jack, actually number two player on my Dolphins board. Uh, Paul and Ian, not so much, but you know, they brought up great points. One of which is, you know, Miles Jack in terms of playmaking skills at UCLA. I know he was out this past year. Uh, not a lot of forced fumbles, interceptions, or sacks. Uh, is that? Do you think that's to do with his age? Uh, what do you think based on what you've seen? Well, I think that at that position, you can influence the play so many more ways than just whether you finish the play. And I mean, you look across the league. You look across the league, and if that's if that's where you derive the value is how many forced fumbles you had. You know, some guys have four, some guys have two, um, and and I don't know that the that those two extra are, are represent the difference between a, a ten million dollar a year guy and a, a three million dollar a year guy. Um, I think that Miles Jack influences the play on every single down by virtue of his range and his speed and ability to get after the ball and ability to shut down passing options. And so I think that that, I mean, you can actually, with Miles Jack's range and his coverage ability, you can actually change the way an offense has to game plan around you. And so this is not necessarily just about you know, whether he gets the interception, whether he gets four interceptions this year, or whether he gets two interceptions and he's failure this year. Um, it's it's about an every every down impact and what he does to game planning with his speed, his range, and uh, his prowess that way. So I, I, I wouldn't – I think it would be a mistake to look at it and, and just say, well, you know, he didn't – he didn't get that many sacks. Well, you know, maybe he didn't blitz that much. Well, he didn't get that many interceptions. Well, you know, some some guys get will will get seven interceptions. That'll happen once in a in a blue moon at that position. But most guys, hey, we were looking at maybe that maybe they got two this year or something like that. And that's not the mm-hmm. difference. That's not the difference between these all pro type guys, the Zach Thomas of, of the world, and and the uh, you know Colomises. Um I think that it's an it's an every down ability. Right, I, I'm right there with you on Miles Jack, and I, I've looked at him. 
Uh, I've seen several games with him, and I, I'm impressed by his ability to get from point A to point B so quickly. And I didn't see him blitz a lot at UCLA. Another thing that's attractive too is this is a guy. His, his birthday is September two, or September 1995. So a guy who is going to be uh, 21 years old when the season is beginning. So there's a lot of upward momentum, 6'1", 245 pounds. So you've identified oh, – I'm, I'm going to throw out to Paul for a comment on that as well. So, CK, I'm, I'm curious. I, I, I picked the Ian's brain a little bit just while we're talking Miles Jack real quick. Um, one thing I noticed watching a lot of tape on, on, on Jack is I worry a little bit about the way his tackling style translates to the NFL. I saw a lot of grab and twist that he may not be able to get away with at, at this level um, where, you know, more powerful backs may be able to break free. Did you see a lot of that as well, or how do you think that that translates in, in terms of, of his style of play? I think that uh, – I don't think it's that big of a concern personally because I think he's got a lot of strength and he's got a lot of physicality to him. So if we're talking about tackling technique, then remember that this is ultimately a very, very coachable aspect of a guy's game. Um, and, and in terms of grab and twist, what you have to remember is, you know, the Seahawks make a living off of grab and twist, all right? They uh, they target the front leg. They target the front leg, take their head, head out of the game, and uh, grab and, and twist. I mean, they, they call it a hawk tackle. So, um, and it's it's catching on around the league as, you know, the default method of tackling, and it's actually become a very safe way of getting a, getting a guy down and not having your tackles broken if you're, if you're coaching it right. Um, and I know the Dolphins take some Seahawks influence. I don't know how Vance Joseph is going to, uh, to coach his tackling, but I think that um, I'm not too worried if, if, we're talking specifically about that that sort of technique. Um, I think that you know, ultimately it's just a, it's very coachable, and either he has the ability to judge the angles and he has the athleticism to get where he needs to be, or he doesn't have those things, and then that's when you start to worry about I think tackling and whether he's going to be effective that way. And the, really, the most attractive thing for me with Miles Jack, given how well he moves in space, and and uh, like you said. How, how he's tested out on the chalkboard or how he looks in the chalkboard. Smart kid. If you have Miles Jack and Jelani Jenkins in the middle of that defense, you have two players who can cover a lot of ground. Maybe you can put an extra defensive back on the field full-time and be a lot more creative. So right now, Chris, we've got uh, what you think the Dolphins are thinking right now with the first three players on their board, Bosa, Jack, Ramsey, in no particular order. Uh, how about number four? Number four, well, I think that they're going to give a serious amount of thought to uh, the defensive ends and the two that come to mind, the two that probably come to the Dolphins' mind as well, uh, are DeForest Buckner and Shaq Lawson. And so, I mean, if you're you're talking about the guys that are probably not going to get to them, then you're talking about uh, Miles Jack and, and Jalen Ramsey and Joey Bosa. But I think that uh, that they're going to start thinking – more at the number eight pick about Shaq Lawson and about DeForest Buckner. And the reason that I said, one of the reasons to look at DeForest Buckner and, you know, you have a lot of people questioning, is this guy, does he really compare to a Carlos Dunlap? And, and therefore, you know, kind of translates to that Cincinnati style defense. 
well, probably we probably got the answer to that at the combine. No, no, that's not that's not his game. But you look at him on tape, and you do start to get a vision of what he's going to what he could be in the Dolphins' defense. Now, keep in mind they they still want to make Dominic and Sue the main playmaker on that defense. So they're right. going to surround him with talents that help free him up. And one of the things that they've been doing is they've actually been pulling Sue out to the outside uh, on a lot of, especially a lot of nickel downs and getting him the ability to, to really make plays either from the outside or stunt inside or pass rush, whoever he wants. Uh, and one of the things that you can actually do with DeForest Buckner, and this is just based purely on the film on, at o- Oregon, is he played a lot of one technique. Uh, he played over the center of the of the offensive line a lot, and he is very, very powerful, and when he needs to get low, he can get low. Uh, I think we've seen that on tape, too. I think Mike Mayak, uh, Mayak has uh, talked about that quite a bit. Uh, so, you know, he can actually slide in all the way in on passing downs to the one technique and keep Indomitian Sue free to move around to the more of the perimeter uh, spots on the defensive line and rush the passer. Um, a little bit more freely. So I'd keep really keep an eye on him because uh, obviously on base downs he can play and he can um, he can be powerful and shock and jar offensive tackles and really just absolutely bully any tight end that he comes across. Um, and you don't have a problem with that with him that way. You think along the ter- think along the lines of say a Red Bryant what he used to do in Seattle playing at end. He's not that heavy but he is pretty dang powerful and he does uh, really shock uh, offensive tackles as much as a big heavy guy like him does. So that's a guy to keep in mind that fits that way and kind of helps keep Indomitian Sue free to go after the quarterback, keep guys like, uh, keep guys like Cameron Wake and Olivier Vernon uh, free to go after the quarterback uh, but somebody else, somebody else to really consider, especially in a situation where we might lose Olivier Vernon, is Shaq Lawson, and he's one of my favorite players in the draft. Um, I think this is a guy, you know, the way he carries himself and the way he moves and the way he's uh, the way he's framed, you know, he reminds me a little bit of. I, I hate to draw these names out because they're Hall of Famers, you know, but you know, Reggie. I was watching old Reggie White tape, and I was watching old uh, Bruce Smith tape. And I just I just saw a lot of him uh, in them, and it's no it's not a coincidence because he he actually models his game after Reggie White, especially his handwork, and the way he uses his hands is fantastic. And he's got the most savvy of any of the pass rushers in this draft in terms of the array of moves, his ability to go speed to power, go around the outside, cut inside, uh, the way he say, for instance, will spin, but not necessarily spin to get on the inside shoulder, just spin to not give the offensive tackle a chance to to actually punch him. Uh, and before you know it, he's into your pads because of the spin move. I, Dwight Freeney was, was excellent at that. Right. Um, you know, he, 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 can really, he can really manipulate his angles, too, and draw an offensive tackle to take that, either take that extra step to try and get out to him because he bent his angle out a little further out, 
or he can get the offensive tackle to completely go perpendicular to the line of scrimmage because of that, and then he's got him. You know, he uses his hands and slaps down the offensive tackle's hands and goes inside of him. He, he's got a full array of moves, and we saw at the combine. I mean, he really killed the combine, um, and this is not a surprise. I think people, some people watching the tape on Shaq Lawson might have criticized that he doesn't have as much get-off, but I think that you have to look a little bit deeper as to what is – uh, actual responsibilities were on those plays and the style that he was playing. It's not that he can't get off the ball like that. It's that he was he was asked not not necessarily to get off the ball like that. So I, well, I think what, he's a guy, he's one of my favorites. He, I'll tell you, I, I'm somebody who was surprised at what Jack Lawson did uh, at the combine. Ran a 4-7, tested out well athletically in a lot of different areas. I always viewed him as really kind of like that stay-at-home iceberg type of 4-3 defensive end. My comparison was actually Derek Morgan for him heading into this weekend. He showed a lot more athletically. DeForest Buckner's an interesting one. Uh, 6-7, 290 pounds. Um, I watched some. I, I've seen a lot of tape on Buckner. One of which was against Michigan State, and I thought Jack Conklin tore him a new one in that game. To be quite honest with you, uh, but when you're Buckner and you're six seven two ninety, and you are a good kid, you're a good football player, you're a good athlete, then you can be coached up pretty well. Not to mention you you fit a variety of schemes too. So just like what you said there, Chris, uh, the defensive ends really come into the picture if Olivier Vernon isn't in it. So. You know, one guy that we bypassed and, you know, probably won't be relevant either way is is Laramie Tunzel. He's being talked about as the number one pick to the Titans. Maybe they move Taylor Lewan to that right tackle position. Uh, anyway, the, is he somebody that over the next eight weeks we can just cross off the board no matter what? Well, I think that because by virtue of where he's going, you can cross off the board. First off, I think you can cross off the board – Offensive tackle, most likely. It's not that I would. I, it's that I think they they are. Um, mm-hmm. The word the word that I've heard from there is just not. It's not even in the uh, in, in, in on deck. It's not in orbit. It's not in the zip code. Um, they're not thinking about offensive tackle that I know of, unless they're doing a very good con job. Um, so I, I think that because of that, you just don't talk about Laramie Tunsil that much uh, personally. I've always been more of a fan of Ronnie Stanley uh, than Laramie Tunzel. I think that Ronnie Stanley is another Richmond Webb. I think he's the best pass protector in the draft. I think that you could put him back there, and even as a rookie, probably trust him to pass protect for anybody. Um, he's got great stance, great feet, uh, great hand use. The way he uh, the way he gets his hands way out and and keeps guys at bay is is really admirable. And when we were talking about Shaq Lawson because and they, those two went against each other, Ronnie Stanley and Shaq Lawson. And this is something to keep in mind um, that when it came down to the fourth quarter and Notre Dame was mounting a serious comeback against Clemson, trying to knock off the number one team in college football. Uh, this is this is go to this is pass 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 time. This is favoring the pass rushers such as Shaq Lawson and Kevin Dodd. And you had Mono Mono, Ronnie Stanley, and Shaq Lawson, and Ronnie Stanley was keeping Lawson at bay during this comeback. I mean, it was all passing situation, 
every down, and Shaq Lawson just couldn't get anything done against him. And it wasn't because Shaq Lawson was getting uncreative. It wasn't because he was getting tired. It wasn't for lack of trying. He was trying like hell. It's just that Ronnie Stanley was that good in the moment. Um, now, I think earlier in the game you had some instances where Shaq Lawson really got him. You know, he, But he did it the right way. He did it with really savvy moves. He did it with great hand use. Um, and Ronnie Stanley, you know, he didn't he didn't get beat by moves that he shouldn't necessarily even think about being beat by. He got beat by a, by a good player on a couple of plays. But when it get, it got down to that that go time at the end, you know, Ronnie Stanley had the quarterback's blind side, and that's against one of the top pass rushers in the country. I think that's the guy at, if you're looking at a tackle. So, Chris, you actually mentioned a name just now that I wanted to bring up. I, I looked at Daniel Jeremiah's mock draft earlier today. And, and one thing that jumped out at me since we're talking about, we talked a little bit about the defensive ends in terms of Shaq Lawson and DeForest Buckner is across from Shaq Lawson, the name you just mentioned, Chris Dodd. Uh, Daniel Kevin. Jeremiah actually had Kevin the Dodd. Dolphins take, or sorry, Kevin Dodd. I, I had yeah. the Connecticut State Senator jump into my head real quick. Um <laughs> <laughs> Jeremiah had uh, the Dolphins take Dodd, even with Lawson on the board still. Um, what can you tell us about Dodd as a possible fit at the defense position for Miami? I see what I see what um, what Daniel Jeremiah is thinking there, uh, and he is thinking in terms of Cincinnati and the experience up there with Carlos Dunlap and Michael Johnson. If you if you want a guy that compares more to Carlos Dunlap and, and Michael Johnson, then Kevin Dodd is probably that guy. It's not, it's not Shaq Lawson and it's not the Forrest Buckner. Um, it might be somebody a little bit later, like say a Bronson Kafusi, but you know, I think that Kevin Dodd is, is certainly more, um, I guess he is more comparable. And so that's where I think Daniel Jeremiah is going with that. Now, ultimately, I don't think Dodd is worth it at that pick. Uh, looking at him on tape, he went against a lot of right tackles, uh, whereas Shaq Lawson went against left tackles. He went against the best offensive lineman on the other team week after week. Kevin Dodd did not. Um, you look at Kevin Dodd's role, he was the deep rusher. Shaq Lawson was the guy that – had to play off of the deep rusher, which can often be a harder role. I think we saw that in Miami with Olivier Vernon and Cameron Wake. We saw Cameron Wake is the deep rusher, and Olivier Vernon is the guy that kind of has to rush and play off of the deep rush, and that can be a little harder. And then when Cameron Wake goes out, and now Olivier Vernon can be the guy that stands up and takes it deep and really you know, has more – options about how he can get to the quarterback, all of a sudden he's one of pro football focuses, most effective defensive ends and pass rushers in the, uh, in the game. So I, I think that, uh, that Shaq Lawson had a harder, had a harder go week to week at Clemson, whereas Kevin Dodd, he's going against right tackles, unathletic guys, and he gets to take them deep and use his length and get after them. I, I just don't sense the same attack in Kevin Dodd as I do in Shaq Lawson and or in DeForest Buckner, quite frankly. Um, so I, I don't think that he's worth that high of a pick. Right. So let's take a look at your board so far. You've got, let's take, for argument's sake, the quarterbacks and the offensive tackles are out of the conversation. So Stanley and Tunzel 
we're not talking about too much, uh, or Carson Wentz and Jared Goff, the quarterbacks. We've got Bosa, Ramsey, Miles Jack, DeForest Buckner, and Shaq Lawson. Uh, so how about what rounds out your top eight for the Dolphins uh, here Here as we're continuing this discussion? One one more name that I I would insist that we consider, and even though you know you're you're going to start to look like the Detroit Lions at some point, but Laquan Treadwell is one of the elite players in the draft. And if the point of the draft is to get elite players, to get playmakers, guys that change the game, and then you know everybody talks about it, you take the best available player, and then and then figure it out later. Or the other thing that people say and and often don't really mean is that you take play, good players or you get good players and you form the system around the players. You know, that that's another thing that people say. If, if you really believe in those things, then you see a Laquan Treadwell available to you at number eight, then you have to consider him because this guy is an elite talent at the wide receiver position. Um, you watch him and I, I, I just break out into to hysterics. Uh, watching him play because he's clowning everybody that he's going against uh, between his hands and the way he tracks the ball, the way he can get off the line and beat somebody in four steps. That's it. It's just three step, three or four steps. That's it. And um, and the guy can finish plays. He can run after the catch. Actually, I was running. I was watching some old film of Roy Williams of Texas, and this was remember this was at one point a really really talented player. Uh, after the catch, mm-hmm. he does he does remind me a little bit of Roy Williams, uh, but I also see a little bit of Des Bryant in him, even though he's not quite as heavy as Des. Uh, I think that this is a tremendous, tremendous player, and even just watching block, I mean, this guy is is one vicious a hole when it comes to blocking. He's got he's got some some moves in the uh, in the arsenal that you don't normally see from wide receivers blocking in terms of finishing you know, defensive backs that are trying to, you know, keep their – they're trying to keep their gap control, right? They're they're locking up their arms and just, you know, steering and, and trying to stay strong. But he finishes them. He puts them on the ground. Or uh, or he just gets off them at just the right moment and picks up a second guy. And, uh, you know, those kinds of things, those little plays can make a difference, especially when you got a Lamar Miller who can break the big one as soon as, you know, he gets a little bit of a crease. Uh, you know, those those can really make a difference. I think Laquan Treadwell has got to be a consideration. And you know, you mentioned offensive tackles are off the ball board, but if we're if we're saying best available player, period, then Ronnie Stanley and Laquan Treadwell suddenly are on the board. So let me I'll play the devil's advocate here with Laquan Treadwell. Des Bryant was a guy. Who, to my not, if I recall correctly, was about what six three, two hundred and thirty pounds, ran a four four or four five five, uh, or maybe even a little bit less. The word is Laquan Treadwell may struggle to run in that same area. I'll play the devil's advocate. What if Treadwell runs a four six two? Does your opinion of him change? Well, if he runs a four six two on his own private track. Um then, you know, you you do have to question it a little bit. I would not predict him to do that just based on the film study that I've seen. Uh, mm-hmm. I've seen him get by safeties. I and mean, we're talking about safeties that start out with a huge advantage, right, And uh, in terms of the spacing and the angles. And they try to pick up his coverage, and they cannot keep up. Uh, that's That's what I've seen on tape. I've seen him get open vertically uh, a lot. And so I have a hard time believing 
unless he just wakes up and he's not feeling feeling well that day and didn't eat his Wheaties, then uh, then I have a hard time seeing him run a four six two on a private track. Um, I don't, you know, I, I just don't see that happening. If it did, then maybe you have to think about it. But if it did, he'd probably also run into Ken. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, right. I, and I'm right there with you. I love Laquan Treadwell. And my board, he's a, definitely a top 10 player, especially if the Dolphins do lose Rashard Matthews. You could have Treadwell, Landry, uh, and Devontae Parker out there and really creates a mismatch problem. So, Chris, anybody well, else? Well, one thing to wanna... keep in mind, actually, let me just break in right there. One thing to keep Go in mind it. is Adam Gase, Adam Gase's experience out in Denver was with Eric Decker and Demarius Thomas and Wes Welker with Peyton Manning creating one of the best offenses the NFL had ever seen. Uh, that was the experience out in Denver with Adam Gase calling the calling the plays and being the offensive coordinator. So if you're looking at, you know, how the heck does Laquan Treadwell possibly fit in in Miami, you're probably looking at trading Kenny Stills. That's That would be a necessity. But other than that, you're looking at Devontae Parker and Laquan Treadwell and Jarvis Landry basically being Eric Decker, Demarius Thomas, and uh, and, and Wes Welker. And then, you know, Ryan Tannehill at the center of that. So there is room for that. I mean, Adam Gase rode that to, you know, to extreme success. So there's definitely there's definitely a justification. There could be a justification for it. I don't see it happening, but, you know, it's it's something to think about. Yeah, and if you're looking for something that really could put the Dolphins over the top, creating mismatches like that would definitely be one of that. So let's take a look, too, at, you know, before we let you go tonight, Chris, uh, you know, we, you've talked really tonight in terms of what you think the Dolphins will do in the draft. So a week from today, when we're one day into the tampering period and one day before you can officially sign free agents, who is one player, maybe two, that you say the Miami Dolphins are going to sign in free agency, if you had to predict? Uh, well, uh, you know, a week ago or so, I would have told you Alex Boone, but now there's some chatter about Jeff Schwartz, and uh, and, and I actually believe it. Uh, it seems to check out um, from what I've from what I've heard. Uh, so I think that the the offers will be on the table for David Bruton, uh, the safety out of Denver. I think the offers will be on the table for Adam Jones, Cincinnati. I think offers will be on the table perhaps for Jeff Schwartz instead of Alex Boone because Alex Boone has a history of being a pain in the butt with respect to price uh, price tag and negotiations, and Jeff Schwartz might be a little bit more, um, you know, amiable to uh, to a, a lower deal. And we know that from last year with the, the whole Evan Mathis scenario, and and how that played out that the Dolphins front office doesn't really doesn't really value the guard situation to where they're they're willing to just throw out a bunch of money for a guard. Um so I think that that, that could be why you're looking at a Jeff Schwartz instead of uh an Alex Boone if he's if Boone is being a little bit of a, a pain that way. Um and then there's there's consistent, consistent Bruce Irvin um rumors. And and that's coming from you know, public and non, non-public. So I think that that's something to keep an eye on. He could be like a Miles Jack in that when you watch this guy play, he's a 4-4-0 guy, first off. Let's let's get that out of the way. He ran a 4-4-0. He's, he's in the 240-pound range um, like Miles Jack. So he's got all that speed. He can run around. And, you know, surprising amount of ability in pass defense uh, and in coverage. 
Um, and that's what really stood out to me when I when I started watching tape on Bruce Irvin. So I think that he he could be a nice little wild card there. Very interesting. C.K. Parrott joining us, and we we hope we're lucky enough for him to join us over the next couple of weeks as we come up into the NFL draft. Chris, thank you for joining us tonight. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we let you go? Uh, no, I think uh, I think that pretty much covers it. I want to thank you guys for having me on, though. Absolutely. Have a great one, and uh, we'll uh, we'll talk to you hopefully next week. If not, I'm sure one of the weeks after that, all right? All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Take care. C.K. Parrott joining us here on the Fin Side. Follow him on Twitter, C.K. Parrott. Uh, and uh, just some great insight there. And, you know, it's very interesting. Shaq Lawson, to his point, is somebody that really jumped out at the NFL Draft Combine this past week. And something that's also a great observation, Shaq Lawson specifically plays in that 4-3 defense, rushes over the left tackle position. So I'm sure our our opinions are going to change, and Paul uh, CK's opinions are going to change as well as we approach the draft. So, Paul, uh, before we uh, sign off for the night, any additional insights that you have about anything we've talked about? Um, I just want to talk a little bit about some of the possible free agents that they could go after. Um, I know I've said his name probably every show thus far. I think Prince of Mukamara is one guy that you've got to have as a top target. And I know we've talked a lot about uh, Bruton as a potential target at safety. I wouldn't be shocked to see, especially with Vance Joseph in Miami, to see the Dolphins really pursue George Iloka uh, for the Bengals. I think he's a guy who's an ascending young player, uh, they may be able to sign for one of those mid-range con- contracts at safety and, and bring him here. Word is that he, he and Vance Joseph love each other. Um, so that wouldn't shock me at all. So, I mean, he could be a guy that comes in and plays next to Rashad Jones and really forms a, a hell of a tandem at safety. And I would love having Prince of Mugamara and Grant Grimes, and I know you've mentioned him as a, as a cut possibility, but I would love having those two as our starting corners, and then having Tony Lippett and Bobby McCain and Jamar Taylor fighting it out to either eventually replace one of them or to be the slot. Um, and suddenly the secondary is not a huge concern as we go into the draft. Um, one oddball possibility for a guy that's out there that could come to Miami um, is, and, and this is something completely off the radar, but Chase Daniel could be a guy that, that the Dolphins look at out of Kansas City. Um, I don't see Matt Moore coming back. I know he's talked about it. But he could be that guy that's got a couple of years' experience under his belt, hasn't been out there much in the regular season except in spot duty, um, but could come in and be that backup to Tannehill that, that may be reliable if uh, if called upon. Um, I got a few Interesting name. your thoughts. <laughs> yeah, and no, and no, but interesting name, and and my girlfriend would love to hear you say that because she's a huge Mizzou fan and a huge Chiefs fan, and I'm a big Mizzou fan too, and that's where Chase Daniel came from. And now the guy's 29 years old, and he still hasn't gotten an opportunity yet. I I, I think another team would be crazy not to bring him into the fold, whether that's the Dolphins or not, is one thing. Um, you know, he, he's played for about three million a year with the Chiefs over the last couple of years, and. 
you know, any team that's lacking a quarterback, whether, you know, that's that's the Browns or whether that's maybe the Cowboys in a backup role, something like that could be very interesting. Uh, a couple of guys, I'll just throw out some names that, that I have highlighted that aren't the high-level types of free agents, but I don't want the Dolphins to target high-level free agents. I want them to go the cheaper route. Paul Solia is a guy that we agree if he gets cut, which we all expect, then he could – uh, be high on our radar. He's high on mine. He's high on yours. A few other names. Um, Jeff Allen, the guard from the Chiefs, uh, 6'5", 340 pounds, can, doesn't have a whole heck of a lot of durability or starting experience, but this past year with the Chiefs played very, very well. Every time he's on the field, he does well. Also has that versatility to kick out to tackle. Um, a defensive end, if it, it falls through with Olivier Vernon, Nick Perry and Courtney Upshaw, two players who were um, – Perry was a late first in the 2012 draft. Upshaw was an early second. Uh, intriguing to me because I always thought they should have been 4-3 players. I thought they were best with their hand in the ground because they had quick, violent hands. And then you take them off the football, play them as a linebacker in a stand-up position. I thought it hurt their productivity. Nick Perry actually had three and a half sacks in the playoffs. But he's always had some injuries and some under uh, underachieving issues. Linebacker Sean Spence from the Steelers has been behind Lawrence Timmons and Ryan Shazier. Maybe only three, four, five million a year. Uh, my guess is more toward three million, and I think he fits in really well uh, as, as a middle linebacker. Doesn't cost a whole heck of a lot of money. Get somebody up on the upswing. Demario Davis is somebody that I believe Mike Tannenbaum drafted a couple of years ago, um, coming out of college. It was a third round pick. He does have starting experience. Is coming off kind of a poor year in Todd Bowles uh, and Casey Rogers' defense, but. Uh, as a 4-3 middle linebacker, I think he has a lot of range. Could also be somebody to get a little bit cheaper. I do think Adam Jones is somebody the Dolphins should look at. Uh, he's been phenomenal for the past year and a half. Even though he's 33 years old, you can bring him in. You, you give the secondary a little bit of bite and a little bit of playmaking skills, um, perhaps opposite Brent Grimes. I like Gerard Powers from the Cardinals, 29-year-old cornerback. May not cost all that much either. Brandon Boykin, now with Bryce McCain out of the mix. Boykin's a player that I wanted the Dolphins to trade for when he was a member of the Philadelphia Eagles. Actually ended up trading him to the Steelers. Had some injuries, and they didn't use him a whole heck of a lot. I think he could perform pretty well in the slot. And at the safety position, I do like David Bruton, and I'm glad that Ian myself and CK have all mentioned those players. So I like the depth of free agency, and that's why I think that the Dolphins shouldn't target, you know, some of these high, higher free agent possibilities that are going to cost eight to 10 million a year. We'll talk about yeah. that and a lot more next week. Uh, Paul, go ahead. Uh, go ahead and cut you off. No, I, I just had a couple more I wanted to mention um, since, since we're still talking about them too. It's uh, when we look at the linebackers, like you mentioned, um, there's a couple of different – there's three different options I was looking at when I looked at the mid-range free agents that are out there because I think that's really where the gold is in this free agency class like you were talking about. And depending on what direction the Dolphins want to go, um, they may look at each of these guys individually. One is Stephen Tullock from Detroit, who's obviously on the downside of his career. Uh, by all reports, he's a hell of a leader and could be a guy that st steps in as a stopgap option at inside linebacker. Um, Nigel Bradham up in Buffalo, he didn't fit very well in the Rex Ryan scheme, but he, he's definitely a guy that's shown a lot of upside uh, prior 
And one thing that CK said that, that leads me back to, to another guy, um, Jarrell Freeman of the Colts. He's a guy with a lot of cover skills out of that inside linebacker spot, um, does play all over the field, and could be an interesting pairing with Jelani Jenkins to come in and, and play next to him and, and really be able to cover guys out there on the field, which I know has been a weakness at times. And you have to be able to do in the AFC East if Charles Clay is healthy, if Rob Gronkowski is healthy, uh, with some of the running backs that are receiving threats out of the backfield. Um, so they could all be options. For, for the Dolphins as well, an inside linebacker. Um, and a couple other guard ones I just want to bring up before we get to next week. I know we're going to do a deep dive. But Ramon Foster out of Pittsburgh and Brandon Brooks from Houston. Those are two guys that may be um, mid-range price-wise but could easily step in and improve the offensive line, which is the weakest spot on offense. Um, yeah. One more position yeah. just to talk about, um, tight ends. We've got Dwayne Allen, who never lived up to his promise in Indy, but the guy's a physical freak at tight end, uh, could come in and replace uh, Jordan Cameron if he's not willing to come down far enough. Uh, and then Kobe Fleener and Zach Miller are both going to be out there on the market. Yeah, Zach Miller's an interesting one. Uh, he played with Adam Gase, had five touchdowns last year, may be able to be had for a reasonable price. Uh, Ladarius Green, if I haven't mentioned him from the Chargers, somebody I, I think has always been right on the cusp. Uh, but has always been behind Antonio Gates, and you know, but still has put up good numbers and put up good film in his own right. So there are a lot of guys that we're going to really talk about and take that dive into next week, depending on on who's available. Um, so we look forward to doing that, and uh, that's where we're going to leave it tonight. On the fin side, thank you for joining us here tonight. And as Brian Miller says, if it's not on the right side and it's not on the left side, it is on the fin side. Have a great night, guys.